Hey friends, Christine here, and I wanted to take a minute before today's podcast episode to invite you to partner with the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship during our end of year giving campaign. For the entire month of December, IBCD is asking our supporters, subscribers, and listeners like you to join us as we seek to strengthen the local church in one another care. By making a donation of any amount today, you make it possible for us to produce free resources like this podcast, which reaches a growing global audience. Would you prayerfully consider partnering with us by making a one-time or recurring donation to our ministry? Visit ibcd.org forward slash donate to help us reach our fundraising goal before the new year comes. Thank you so much for your ongoing support and patronage. Now let's get on with the show. Hey friends, my name is Christine Chapel, and you're listening to the Hope and Help podcast from the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship, where we host biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. In this episode, I chat with Don Roy about hope and help for military veterans. For more help on the topics we discussed today, visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help, where you can access notes from today's episode and browse related resources from our digital library. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Dr. Don Roy is an ACBC Fellow and has been certified since 2006. He has a demon in biblical counseling from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and Don also serves as a missionary with overseas instruction in counseling as the country coordinator for Madagascar and serves as a senior advisor with Fallen Soldiers March. Don is the director of North Shore Biblical Counseling and Training Center in Slidell, Louisiana, and is IBCD's very own training center director. Hey there, Don. Thank you so much for joining us for the show today. Glad to have you here. Thank you, Christine. It's a real pleasure and honor to be here. Usually I feature guests on the show who have written a resource about the topic that we're discussing, but I've made a special exception for you, Don, because number one, you are part of IBCD's team. You came aboard IBCD, I think it was last year as our training center director, and you approached me and wanted to have a conversation specific to military veterans because of your work with the Fallen Soldiers March ministry. And so I want to give you a few minutes of time and maybe you could share before we get into our conversation about hope and help for military veterans if you could share the background of your work with fallen soldiers march and why you wanted to be involved in this ministry yeah absolutely fallen soldiers march itself is i'm not even sure i should know this but probably about 13 or so years old and about six or seven years ago the president of fallen soldiers march jim retzke approached me and, and asked if I would be a part of it because the whole purpose of Fallen Soldiers March is to minister to veterans as they experience the consequences of war, 
post-traumatic stress and, and those kind of things. And at the time when we started, his goal, his vision was to have a physical ranch where, where people could come and receive some counseling and, and even get paired with uh, service dogs. At the time, we we're trying to match veterans with service dogs as well and wanted to also offer biblical counseling. At the time, he had no biblical counselors as part of the ministry. So because of my 30 years in the Navy, I, I was thrilled to be part of it. And at the time we had no resources in terms of buying a physical ranch. So I just said, why don't we just start a network of counselors? Let's just reach out to people who would be willing to counsel veterans. And at first I was reaching out to other biblical counselors who I knew were veterans or military chaplains, but that really became kind of a small pool and realized that you don't have to have experience what other people have experienced in order to point them to Christ through the scripture. So we just started reaching out to anyone who'd be willing to do that. So over about a five or six year period, we've now built a, a network of about 125 counselors of who right now are counseling at least one military veteran. And we're always looking for more. Uh, so, you know, people can go to Fall Soldiers March website and fill out the form to be part of our network. We also have our first Soul Care Conference that we're doing February 25th. That's going to be held in Edenton, North Carolina, but it's also going to be virtual. So anyone can sign up and we've got a great lineup of speakers, Nicholas Allen, Mark Shaw, Daniel Berger, Dr. Warren Lamb, Julie Glanshaw, Ganshaw, sorry, Julie. So we're going to be talking about, you know, how to help people who, again, are struggling with the consequences of war and the things that they've gone through and struggling with from that. Well, I did not know this about you, Don. So you were 30 years in the Navy? I did. 30 years. I spent uh, the, my first 15 years flying at 14 as a backseater. And then the second 15 was, I did a little bit of flying, but it was mainly staff and command stuff after that. And, and I'm blessed. I have 10 children, five daughters, five sons. All five sons have served in the military. My youngest son's only 21. He was an ROTC, but the uh, older four have all either are currently serving or have served and have all been in combat environments. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your service, Don, and thank you for taking the time to share more about the Fallen Soldiers March Ministry. And I'm really looking forward to, you know, the wisdom that you have to share with us in regards to gospel hope and help for our military veterans. And I guess before we get too far along in our conversation, I wondered if you could help us to learn more about the experience of being a military veteran and the kinds of challenges that these men and women sometimes face after their time spent in service? You know, military life is difficult in, in a number of ways. You know, one certainly is constant moves. You're moving you and your family from one place to another. I know at one point in my career, we moved four times in four years and uh, we, I was getting pretty tired of it, but the challenges and, and the things that we got to do were still exciting. So, you know, when you go now, you're messing up your children's school, you mess up your children's friends. Uh, you have to find a new church. Uh, you're moving away from the friends you've had. So there's a lot of emotional struggle in that. Frequent deployments is another huge thing that's common in the military, even in a non-combat environment. My first four years in the Navy, I was gone probably three years of that. Uh, so my wife and I were separated and that was before the days of internet. So we were writing letters. It took three weeks to get back and forth to each other. But the, the long deployments and even in between the long deployments, there's a lot of training that goes on. So Again, between my two long deployments, and I've seen this in my sons also, you know, you're gone for training for two weeks and home for three weeks, and you're gone again for a month for another training evolution. And that's just constant as you're preparing for the actual deployment itself. And then when you get out, you're having to rethink so many things that I think we'll talk a little bit more later. But, you know, how, how do my job skills, what am I going to do for a living? I mean, 
as an F-14 backseater, that's not a transferable skill. Or as someone who's been an infantry soldier, not a transferable skill. So, so there, there are things we've got to look for. And also, again, we're going to be talking about this in more detail, but I want to have something that, that has deep meaning. When you have spent time in the military, everything you do has deep meaning and has deep consequences. And you're kind of looking for that afterwards also. And I don't want a job just so I can make money. It's nice to do that, but I really want some meaning to what I'm doing in my employment. As I was preparing for this conversation, I found a study from September 2022 that found, quote, as many as 44 veterans die on average per day from suicide when accounting overlooked deaths such as unexplained drug overdoses, which is more than twice the official estimate. Can you offer any insight as to why suicide is so prevalent among our former service members? First of all, that's why Fallen Soldiers March exists, really, is, is we want to have an impact on the number of suicides that veterans complete. And actually, it's, it's, it's a big problem within the services, too. The service chiefs are all trying to do something about that within the military. But for veterans in particular, it's, it's a horrible problem. And nothing is simple, of course, but part of it is how your identity is so tied up in your military expertise. One of the things that when you get out, you're kind of lost because what I was doing was so intense and so meaningful in the intense relationships that when you go through everything from basic training with someone to actual going through combat and surviving those kind of things, there's a bonding, a brotherhood, and, you know, I don't know if the word sisterhood, but there's still there, there's that camaraderie that exists from these intense experiences that are lost when, when you get out, when you get back home and, and you're trying to get back in contact with, with what's real now. There's moral dilemmas involved sometimes. And as you know, most people in the military have not actually been engaged in direct combat, but we've all supported that. But for those who have been, there's that moral dilemma, not only of maybe something I've seen, something I've done, but also if something happened, there's always the, if only I had done this, it'd been different. I, one of my sons was a, a platoon leader in Afghanistan and part of his convoy got hit by an IED. Uh, one of his friends was killed and he was torn up over that for a long time. And it was tearing himself up. If only I had done this, if only I had done something different. That's that's a uh, a constant issue when something happens. So so you go back and you think you, you go back to the past and you live in the past and you're not looking forward and people get wrapped up in that hopelessness over the past mistakes and meaningless. And, and also if there's things that they're suffering, they're suffering from PTS. So now they're they're responding sinfully with alcohol or with drugs or they can't sleep. And they're just thinking, I'll never be fixed. This is hopeless. Nothing will ever change. And our purpose and our goal is to help them stop looking at the past as a place where you have to live and look at in God's sovereignty and his love and his mercy, where he has you now and where he is bringing you into the future. So there is hope. And we help people get away from that hopeless thinking of what happened in the past and the hopeful thinking of where God has them now and where he does have them to go in the future. 
Well, like you mentioned, not every military veteran has combat experience, but those who do may face a particularly difficult time adjusting back to civilian life after their service has ended. So would you help us to think a little bit more about what that transition looks like from active combat duty to civilian life and what kind of impact that sometimes has on marriages and families? Yeah, certainly some of the things that I've already mentioned that related to suicide are the stressors that you've got. Some of it is this aspect of hypervigilance that you've been on, especially on deployment, where you're just always keyed up. And I'll, I'll just use the example of an, another son who was deployed to Afghanistan for nine months. He was a company commander of uh, Explosive Ordnance Disposal, EOD, the bomb squad. Uh, he was a company commander and he was never involved in direct combat, though he was on a base that would be attacked from mortar attacks occasionally. And, and he said he never personally felt in danger, but still you live that life for nine months, always expecting the base to be attacked, always wondering if the mortar is gonna get close to you. And when you do hear the mortars going off, you grab your weapon, you go out and start running towards the noise. When he came home for two years, he had severe insomnia. And he couldn't even understand why. It wasn't like he was having nightmares, but he just flat couldn't sleep. Even some of his fellow soldiers came and said, look, we've all experienced that. You've been hypervigilant for nine months and your central nervous system is not designed to be that way. And it takes years to decompress. And other intense things, you know, sometimes people come back and, and they'll say, look, the normal things of life become less important than they should sometimes because the thought process is going to be, is someone going to die? If not, it really doesn't matter. And I don't care. Even in the training environments, again, I flew for 15 years off aircraft carriers. I went to about a dozen memorial services to people who had died in training accidents flying F-14s. And that happens routinely in the military. So we are so hyper about what happens. If you don't do it correctly, someone's going to die in a, in a normal training evolution. So when you get back home, you're either super hyper vigilant about what goes on at home more than is normal and more than a spouse can understand or the kids can understand, or you go to the other extreme and say, well, who cares if the bills are paid? Is anybody going to die? Then it doesn't matter. It's like, well, yeah, it does matter. You know, it's going to affect our credit score. We can't buy a house and, you know, all, all these other things. So there's also the issue of decision-making. Perhaps, you know, one spouse has been at home alone for nine months, making all the decisions, and now you come in. And, and fortunately, we do have a lot of post-deployment training where people come back or people are trained and say, look, here's the issues you're probably going to have when you go back home and need to be prepared. But there's a big mental shift that needs to come home in terms of what really is important. And again, where's the gospel come in on that? Where does God have you today? What does God have you in your role today? What have you learned from the past? Not that you dwell there, but now we can bring some things in a way that glorifies God to our spouse, to our children. So there's difficulties in way of thinking, but when I think, okay, I mean, I love Ephesians 2.10, right, right? That he has prepared good works for me. Uh, and so what are those good works he has for me today? I'm not on deployment. I'm not even in the military perhaps anymore. So where does he have me today that I can glorify him with the works that he has prepared for me? Yeah, I was watching a documentary over the weekend on shell shock. And one of the gentlemen that they were interviewing who was suffering through some pretty horrific 
experiences that they talked about during the documentary, but he made this statement of, you know, we go into training, we are trained to kill. And he says, you know, you train to have that switch turned on all the time, but nobody trains you how to turn that switch off when you come home. Because the other thing that's changed today, even in World War II, now people suffered through all this in World War II, obviously a lot too, but one thing that was different is they would take months before they get back home because they had to come by ship, they had to wait, there were huge deployments. So during that several week transition, sometimes months transition, you're able to talk about it with fellow soldiers, fellow Marines, fellow sailors who have gone through all this. And by the time you've got home, you've, you're kind of decompressed. One of the things that can happen now is you're in a combat environment for months, you get on an airplane, 12 hours later, you're at home mowing the lawn. And that messes with your brain. That that just is so incongruent and it's hard to grasp that you need this decompression time with people who have been been through these things. And it probably another thing along those lines, it's just helping people to change their way of thinking and the truth of where they're at. I counseled one guy who would be driving down the interstate. His wife would say he'd see debris in the road and he would recklessly avoid the debris because in his mind, it must be an IED. Or people would get, all stressed out going to Walmart and have to run out of the store because you can't see who's got a suicide vest in there because there's too many people in there. So we help people to, to say, look, saturate your mind with truth. What is the truth? The truth is I'm at home in Louisiana. I'm at home in Idaho. I'm at home here. That debris in the road is not an IED. So my initial stress overseeing that, I, I just need to grasp, take that thought captive and say, look, God has me at home now in a safe place. That's a piece of trash. It's not an IED. So I can continually think about what happened in deployment, or I can choose to focus on what God has for me in the here and now and place value on where he has me here and now because because this is where God has me. I can say, well, this doesn't matter because nobody's life is at stake. It's like, well, no, it matters because this is where God has me right now. So going to buy my groceries, paying the bills, taking care of the kids, all has value that God has placed on it and what he has for me to do right now. That's a real taking your thought captive type process in speaking truth to yourself and not focusing on, on the past. Part of what I was watching too in this documentary was explaining, like you said, the relational disconnectivity that happens when veterans come home, whether from combat or from not after being for so long in this tight knit community where we're all on mission. And then we come home back into our family lives. And it feels like from what I've heard, this is not my personal experience, but it feels like, you know, nobody around me understands, you know, that I don't have anyone that can connect. They haven't been there. They don't know what I'm going through. They don't know what I've seen. It seems like it creates a sense of loneliness among our former service members sometimes. I wonder if you could help me think about why it might be difficult for military veterans to maintain relationships after their service. And what are some practical steps they could take to try to address those challenges? Yeah, the whole idea of being lonely when you're back home is common. And it's, it's as you alluded to earlier, a lot of it has to do with the intense relationships that, that we have and the intense experiences that we've gone through together. So now when you come back home and again, you're mowing the lawn, you're going out to cut the grass and it's the meaningfulness is kind of boggling your mind because this is not 
the intensity that we had. Uh, so you connect with your former Marines, soldiers, sailors, whoever, who have gone through things with you. And, and that bond is really pretty amazing. I remember one time I was, again, non-combat, just having served with, with some friends for a while. And I was moving from one place to another and I needed someone to drive a car for me for three days. Uh, I thought nothing of asking one of my fellow squadron mates to do that. And he immediately said, well, yeah, of course it was. I mean, it's like we do anything for each other without thinking. And that's not always the context in our civilian relationships, if you will. So you feel disconnected because we don't share the same experiences. So, so what do you do? You start building experiences, building experiences that are meaningful. And those, I think, are best, obviously, within the context of the gospel growing in grace with others who are applying the gospel to their daily life and seeing the meaning of life given to us by God in our roles as husband, father, discipler, bringing someone else along and deepening their walk with Christ is extremely meaningful. To be honest with you, that's one thing I love about teaching biblical counseling. I find great meaning in doing that and seeing people grow from that and discipling others. And that's part of that wanting to do something that's very meaningful. And we can connect over those things. Now, we still get excited about connecting with our former military members, again, fellow Marines, shipmates, soldiers. But we can have deep meaning in the relationships where God has placed us now. And we need to actively look for that and not just continually long for the older relationships we had. We can still maintain. We can still have contact with people and have sometimes we have reunions and those kind of things where we all talk our old war stories. But in daily life, in daily life, there's deep meaning given by the gospel, given by God. And we want to dive into that deep meaning. Now, are you able to share two or three common yet difficult thoughts or faith-related questions that you often hear from former service members in the counseling room, and then maybe share about how you help these veterans to process those thoughts and questions from a Christ-centered perspective? Yeah, absolutely. You know, first and foremost, I think is, and, and we do this with anyone we're counseling, right, is the sovereignty of God. You know, God is very personal in our lives. He's very personal in shaping us, that things don't happen by accident. When we say sovereignty, it's not just big picture, it's very personal. That when we look at the theology of suffering, whether we're looking at James or, or Romans 5 or 1 Peter 1, those aspects of suffering and what God is doing in our lives is very personal from Him and very loving and very intentional from him. So as we study the sovereignty of God, as it relates to suffering, as it relates to everything that happens in our lives, we can say, I don't may not understand fully why something turned out the way it did, but I know that God is sovereign in that. It was not by accident. And God has a purpose, that, and I need to, to discover that purpose to the best of my ability, or at least glorify him to the best of my ability. And the second huge thing is boil down to identity, identity and value. We identify so much as I'm a fighter pilot, I'm a Marine, I'm a, I'm a soldier. You know, I think of, of having this conversation with a friend just a few days ago. Uh, of all the services, the Marines do a, the best job of that, you know, that people will say, yes, I'm in the Army, I'm in the Navy, I'm in the Air Force, but I am a Marine. You'll never hear a Marine say, I was a Marine. Uh, a 75-year-old person who spent three years in Marine Corps is going to say, I'm, I'm a Marine. So this identity becomes your focal point of who you are. And what we want people to 
identifies what's their real identity. That's what we need to focus on. Your real identity is that you're a son or a daughter of the living God. And that is your identity for all of eternity. That's what you were created for. And as a believer, he shapes that and he draws us to him that we're going to have this intimate relationship with him that we start now that's somewhat veiled, but will be completely unveiled face to face for all of eternity one day. So we focus on God's nature and his character and having a deeper understanding of that. You know, I think it was Martin Luther said that all counseling is helping people to see God better and our relationship with him better. And, and this is no different. So we have to also have confidence in God's nature and his character. So the things that have happened to me in the past come out of his loving nature, his loving character to shape me in a certain way and those around me. It's not all about me, obviously. It's about, about the church and all those who have been impacted, but it is still very intentionally and deliberately about me and what he has for me. So how does that impact me and give meaning to life? So I can take my experiences from the military and apply them in loving, gracious, gospel-focused ways that perhaps shaped my thinking and my understanding and bring them to help others understand God better, certainly to help my, my wife, my children, and all those that I'm involved in. So, so we always go to the sovereignty of God and our real identity and our real meaning in life as believers and sons and daughters of the living God. I really appreciate how you continue to hit home the fact that as sons and daughters of the living God, that we have this meaningful purpose, that we have this big mission, this big assignment as Jesus gives his great commission to his disciples. It seems that we have an eternal battle for life and death that God calls us to participate in that doesn't manifest necessarily with bombs and guns and bullets and tanks, but this unseen realm of spiritual battle. And I don't know if you have any thoughts on that parallel. One of the big thought patterns, I guess, that affects you so much as a military person is the camaraderie. You know, it's most intense in combat where you risk your life at the moment that bombs and bullets are flying. As much patriotism as we have, that's not what we're thinking about. We're thinking about my brother in arms sitting next to me, and I'll do anything to keep him from getting shot or blown up. Again, one of my son's in a combat situation, had a friend get shot and immediately buddy carried him for, I don't know how long, you know, did great distance. And the thought was I'm taking care of my fellow soldier here. And even at great risk to my own life and spiritually, you know, we have all these one another's in the scripture and we are so focused, I think in the Western church about, you know, me and Jesus, just me and God, but the scripture is replete with the concept of one another care and looking for one another. And if someone's caught in a trespass, you're spiritual, you know, should go after him. And I think there are great parallels in the camaraderie that we have in the military and the camaraderie that we should have in the local church. Don, you just mentioned in your previous answer the issue of identity and value. And so I wonder if maybe you could tease that apart a little bit more for us and help us think about how being a former service member influences the way someone perceives their identity or value or purpose in life. I think a lot of what we do in the military, and I know I've said this a number of times, but it has such deep meaning. And to some people it may sound corny, but you know, we really believe that we are protecting our way of life, that we fight overseas. We fought overseas for the past 20 years because we think if we fight the terrorists over there, they're not going to attack our families back here. So we 
truly are focused on very meaningful stuff, which is why even in training, you know, we, we had friends die, but we were undeterred, you know, it wasn't like, so we're just going to keep going because we believe so much in what we're doing. So when you leave that environment, you really look for meaning, which is why I go back to what God has for us in Ephesians 2.10. But even in little examples, I remember when I when I retired, uh, I got hired as a consultant, and all we were doing was we were helping FEMA here. This this was not that long after Katrina. I live down here in South Louisiana. We were impacted greatly. And what we were doing was simply helping FEMA arrange all the contracts that they had let out by the thousands in the wake of Katrina, but it was now disorganized and needed to be put back together. And hiring people as part of the team, they were just excited to say, this is meaningful. You know, we're helping people here recover from Katrina on the Gulf Coast. So it, so it was other retired or people who were former service, and they were excited to do this not because they were getting paid a lot, which they were getting paid okay, but but it was, this is meaningful work. That's what people look for. I think when when we leave the military, I still remember the first time a friend of mine got out of the Navy and got hired and it was just working for a government contractor. And it just was strange to me that he's working just to get money. That just seems so strange. I mean, obviously I'm getting paid as a, as a Naval officer, but there's just the meaningfulness seemed to be missing. And, and we, we search for that. So Hopefully, our main identity is not in our job, even as a civilian job, even though we look for something with meaning, but our meaning is how we serve God and how we glorify Him and how we spread the gospel and how we help people grow in the gospel as disciples of Jesus Christ. And those are the meaningful things that we can focus on that was highlighted so much in our ethos that we can translate that to our walk as believers. I wonder, too, if you might address the topic of lament, particularly in helping military veterans to give voice to some of their painful experiences or even to help process some of their painful memories. That's a great question because biblical lament, you know, has, I mean, the scripture, like I think one third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. And, And so biblical lament has a place in our lives whether it's the loss of a loved one at home uh, or certainly the experiences that we might have had as military members where you did lose a friend in combat, where you did lose him from an IED or a training accident or or where you go back and say, you know, if only I'd done something different, but we can express our sadness and even our despair to God, not in an accusatory way, but in honestly expressing our emotions and turning to God rather than away from him, and turning to him and saying that I don't understand why this happened. This is painful. This memory is hurtful. But you know, God, I trust you. I know your character. Why we said earlier about knowing God better, understanding him, sometimes just studying the attributes of God. But I can can express lament. I can express my grief and sorrow and say, God, I, I don't understand it. I don't like it. But I trust you. I trust in your sovereignty, I trust in your love, and I just come to you expressing my grief and my sorrow. And I believe that's what David often did and the other writers of the Psalms in expressing their grief was honesty. And and in Western culture, we sometimes have this thought that we should never be sad, but sadness is part of life in a broken world. 
And sadness is normal when we experience loss, and it should be expressed. And again, the Psalms, I think, give voice to that in a way that shows us how we can grieve, we can cry, we can lament, and we can turn to God ultimately in trust, even though we don't understand. I'm thankful you mentioned David because, you know, David being a writer of the Psalms and he himself also being, I guess you could say, a military man. Oh, he's definitely. I mean, he he fought. He was a warrior. He was a soldier. He was in combat. I'm sure he lost friends and he was certainly frightened many times at the onslaught of the enemy, uh, whether in numbers or whether in strength and and constantly turned to God in his fear, turned to him in his lament, turned to him uh, for strength at many times. So yeah, absolutely. David David was a military man and had a heart after God is where he got his strength, which is, is a great analogy because he experienced fear. He experienced sadness. He experienced lament. And his answer was always to turn to God for his strength and his comfort. We've got time for a couple more questions. So I want to be sure to ask you if you could offer some suggestions as to what might constitute a well-balanced support system for a former service member who's learning to cope with what you call, actually, I saw this term on the Fallen Soldiers March website, the consequences of war. So we're trying to cope with the consequences of war. Yeah, first of all, we're one of our uh, senior advisors, uh, Dr. Warren Lamb, who's who's a uh, Marine combat veteran, is helping right now or leading the team developing a consequence of, of war curriculum to help mm-hmm. people counsel uh, through that. So the well-balanced support system, I think, is the church for sure that we need to be engaged in community, people who love us, people who support us. And frankly, again, I go back to that thought of meaning that give us meaning uh, as we help people grow in Christ and as others help us. As part of Fallen Soldiers March, most of our counselors have not had military or combat experience. And, And I said earlier, you don't have to experience that at the point of the Christ, but we still are focused on one another care, alert to the stresses and the difficulties that people may be going through. Though you have not been in military, you still see someone struggling to be the father or the husband or even the wife that that they should be or struggling with a sin, sinful way of responding to the stress. And we could do that in one another care in the church to be connected and part of Fallen Soldiers March. We always insist that they're part of a local church. Most of our counseling occurs non-co-located. They're usually Zoom, different parts of the country, but we say you need to be part of a local church and you should be part of some type of small group where people know you, not just some anonymous person in a mega church, but actually part of a community where people who know you and are involved in your lives. And I go back to Fallen Soldiers March. One of the blessings that we do have is we do have military people. Sometimes a Marine needs another Marine to counsel him. You know, if he's been through something just horrendous, Sometimes you need that. And Jim Retsky, who is is our president, knows who all his counselors are. And every once in a while, he'll say, you know what? I really need someone who's been through combat to counsel this person. And he connect. And there's an instant bond between soldiers who have been in firefights or Marines who have been in firefights. And it's an instant understanding that someone grasps when they're deeply struggling with issues. So Fallen Soldiers March can make that connection. Uh, So I think the combination of the local church in one another care, the daily stressors of life, the daily things that that we deal with, with a combination of when something is very intense that that we can actually connect you with someone who, who has similar experience. 
Well, Don, this conversation has been so revealing and meaningful to me. I think I've learned a lot from what you've had to share and just my research and preparation for this conversation. So I'm super thankful for the opportunity to talk more about this because it's the first time um, we've, t- we've talked a little bit about military veterans in a conversation I had with Curtis Solomon on PTS a couple of years ago, but this is the first specific podcast for military veterans. So with that in mind, I want to ask you to do something that I ask every guest of the Hope and Help podcast to do, which is to speak directly to the audience. There may be someone listening today who is a military veteran, and they find themselves experiencing some of the same challenges or thinking patterns that we have been talking about. What would you say to encourage this former service member with the hope and help of Jesus Christ? First and foremost, you know, be in deep fellowship with fellow believers. And what we have experienced definitely shapes us, but it doesn't define us. What defines us is our relationship with God. Uh, And that relationship, the beauty of that relationship in so many ways, there's many facets of the beauty, but it's future looking. Uh, It's future looking now uh, as we experience and go through life with our families and our churches and everywhere we are. And it's also future looking for all of eternity, which is why that's what defines us the most, because we are are made to walk in fellowship with the living God now and in all all of eternity. So the past shapes us, doesn't define us. Our real definition is our relationship with God. And and that's what we want to deepen and seek and and enjoy. Awesome, Don. Thank you for those words of encouragement. I want to let the listener know, though I don't have a book to refer you to for this podcast, I do have the information on Fallen Soldiers March, the ministry, and also their biblical soul care event, which is taking place, like Don said, in February 2023 in North Carolina. And so I want to let you know, if you're interested in learning more about this event, the tickets are on sale now. You can go to fsmsoulcare.com. That link will be in the show notes. So if you scroll down to the show notes, click the link there, as always, that will take you to a page on IBCD's website where you can access the information for Fallen Soldiers March and also the Soul Care Conference that takes place on February 25th. So a couple of places and resources to direct you to after this conversation is done. Um, Well, Don, thanks again so much for joining me today and helping us to understand a bit more of the experience of um, being a military veteran and the different challenges that might present themselves, but then also how to encourage those who are suffering from the consequences of war. So thanks so much for joining us for the show today. Thank you very much, Christine. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode. If you enjoyed today's conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help podcast a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help podcast.